Let's go to the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that we have the privilege of coming into your presence because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, has made the way. Um, Anyone who has put their faith in Christ, who has admitted and acknowledged their need for the Savior, uh, now has access to the throne room of God through prayer. And so, Lord, we're so, so thankful for that and so that we can take our concerns to you, we can uh, shout our praises to you, and we're right there in the, the throne room. And so we're, we're grateful for that. We're also grateful to be able to gather, uh, whether uh, people are here or whether they're able to join us online because of their circumstances. We pray, Lord, for your presence to be made palpable uh, to us um, through the preaching of the word and through our worship, through our presence with one another, Lord. Uh, and Father, help us to minister to one another today in the time that we're here. And Lord, we also just uh, pray and ask that for our church, Lord, that you would uh, uh, bring renewal in people's hearts where it's needed, where there's uh, a lethargy, where there's a... Um, just a casual Christian mindset, Lord. Revive us, renew us. Uh, give us your heart for people. Give us your heart for your word. Um, let us be zealous for you, God. And we ask that you do that. And Lord, we also pray that you touch those that need your healing touch here today, uh, whether here or not here, but those in our church family and friends, God, that need uh, healing Lord, we just pray that you do it. Restore them to health. And Lord, we just ask all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we are going to be uh, finishing up uh, chapter 2 in Second Peter. And uh, after this, I don't know if, if any of you had, have looked ahead, and you're certainly encouraged to do so, because after chapter 2 comes chapter 3, yep, generally speaking, yes, I know, that's why I'm teaching math, that's what they pay me to do, you know, <laughs> why they let me teach calculus, I have no idea, because I could barely count, as you can see, um, but the, the, the heading, which is not scripture itself, but the heading in my Bible on chapter 3 is the day of the Lord will come, and so it's, it's going to get, from my point of view, exciting. Uh, uh, you know, because so, it's all been good, but you know, we've been, uh, th- this will be the, our final week kind of where Peter is both guns blazing on the false teachers. He's just calling it like he sees it, and, and he's doing it again today, um, uh, and so, which, which is good, and, and we, we should be aware. There will be some things for us today, again, to kind of keep on our radar, um, if you're a, you're a believer and participating in a local church, you need to uh, keep an eye on your leadership. You know, you need to not follow blindly. You need to, uh, you know, make sure that their character uh, and their words um, are scriptural. Okay, that's critical. And that's kind of what we keep seeing here is these false teachers. Neither one of those things are true. And today we'll be 
no less the case as we go through this passage. So I'm just going to have you stay seated here this morning. I'm going to do this a little different today. We're going to do it in bite-sized chunks. And so, uh, but the breakdown is we're going to look at the latter half of verse 10 to 13, the beginning verse there, part of 13. That'll be a point, and then 13 to 16, and then one verse to 17. And the last part we'll probably spend the most time on, uh, where we talk about how these false teachers distort our freedom in Christ and what that really is. Okay, so, all right, so the first thing. We, we get uh, more information about these false teachers. The false teachers here are characterized by spiritual pride. All right, and that's what we encounter in these first few verses, uh, starting with, uh, we, we left off at the first part of verse 10. Now, by the way, today I'm, I am using the NLT version on this. I felt like the ESV was, I mean, obviously it was good, but it was a little kludgy in how it reads, so I thought this might be helpful. Um, although I have to say, uh, there's a lot of, uh, when, you, when you study this passage out, there's a lot of disagreement on, uh, on the Greek and what's going on. So <laughs> I try to hit on the things I could be sure of, uh, and the other things uh, you kind of have to fight over, okay? All right, so verse 10, uh, the second part says, These people, talking about the false teachers, are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels, who are far greater in power and strength, do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed." Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in uh, love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are disgrace and stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. And so, um, the thing that's that's interesting here is it we we had some talk earlier. In in the, the last message about how um, there was some talk about angels, if you recall that, um, and so uh, this language of of these false teachers scoffing at supernatural beings seems to be, at least in my opinion, this is there's a, some debate that they are um, the false teachers are making light of or even blaspheming uh, the angelic realm, okay? And there, uh, because as, as it says there, that the, the good angels, as opposed to the evil angels, okay, uh, the angels who are far greater than the false teachers in power and strength do not dare bring the Lord a charge bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those spiritual beings. So it's like not even angels are going to issue some kind of a judgment unless God tells them to. And I think really what he's getting at is that the angels, the good angels there, God's holy angels, they are, they are obeying. They're putting themselves under God. They're not going to uh, assert some kind of authority that they do not have. But yet these false teachers somehow... Uh, whether it's by even espousing a disbelief in the angelic realm, because, by the way, they've already espoused, we've seen this, that they don't even believe in the second coming. 
They don't even believe that their conduct has any relationship to their spirituality and their right standing with God. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that they would even deny that angels exist. And so he goes on to say that you know these they were scoffing, which is the word blaspheme, scoffing at these things that they do not understand. Usually that word blaspheme is referred to God, if you blaspheme the things of God, things that are holy, right? Well, these are God's holy angels. And somehow they're speaking against them. And even have, um, in such a way as they don't seem to care if it has any effect on their life. You know, and we know from Scripture that the angelic realm is real. Uh, There is a world we cannot see, angels, uh, demons, right? And uh, they try to influence people. And so we need to realize that. Now, we don't have to be afraid if we have the Holy Spirit in us, okay? But um, I do know, I mean, I have the conviction that, you know, um, the demonic realm can try to influence a believer. They cannot uh, inhabit a believer, because you're already inhabited by the Holy Spirit, but they could try to influence believers. Only give the, we, they only get the ground that we give them in our lives. Okay, um, I, I'm not going to teach on that, but I'm just saying that's. I think that's scriptural. Um, and to deny any of that exists, I think, just sets you up for <laughs> their influence, <laughs> demonic influence in your life. All right. I think we can, we can squarely label these false teachers as being spiritually proud. It, it says it there. These people are proud and arrogant, and this is how it's expressed in their total, either total denial or they're dissing the angelic realm somehow. Right? Um, Paul reminds all of us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he says, Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed. You remember what happens next? lest he fall. Uh, and so we, we need to not be so spiritually proud that we think, I'm never going to fall, I'm never going to you know, fall into sin or be taken uh, down the road by some false teacher. Um, no, we need to be wise and we need to be on guard. right? We need to be uh, humble. right? We need to be humble. I mean, if there's anything that should characterize um, a church leader... It should be humility. If there's anything that should characterize a church leader, it would be humility. Um, let's take a look at some other scriptures. I, I don't have them up here, but let's take a look at um, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? Colossians 3. Well, which says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now that instructions for all believers, but as a leader, shouldn't you be an example in those things? Right? So, um, again, a, a word to all of us. Our spiritual leaders should be modeling humility, not some kind of a spiritual pride like, you know, 
you know, I'm like, you know, spiritual Superman, uh, can take to take anything the angelic realm can give me, you know, like on my own. Okay. Um, and so humility ought to be characterized by that. Also in Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, keeping with that theme of humility and our leaders should be known for humility. Matthew 20, verse 26. says, and it shall not be so among you, Jesus says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, you know, Jesus is the ultimate example. Right? He, of course, he came for a specific purpose to lay down his life for ours that we might be saved. But even in the way he did that, he modeled for us humility and servanthood. And so Jesus is saying you know, to these disciples, listen, you shouldn't be like some of the Gentiles who lorded over uh, the people that they're, they're supposed to be serving, right? And they, they, it says, they're, it says uh, back up, if you back up verse, Jesus called to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercised authority over them. They're, they're using that position of power for um, evil, right? If anything, any leader should be using their position to serve and help those people that they're serving, right? Not for their own gain. And so these false leaders were, are characterized by spiritual pride, and we need to keep our eyes open for that, that our leaders need to be humble people. All right. The next section there, which just I just find just mind-blowing, we're going to see that they carouse in the daytime and they lure away those who are new to the faith. Uh, I mean, let's, let's just take a look at this, these verses. Uh, 13b, um, which I think I, I didn't put that down there. Let me just read the first part of 13 for you, or the second part of 13, which says, um, says they, uh, they are a, excuse me, they love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. That's what it says in the latter part of verse 13. Then it says they commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin. And they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road, followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, and who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. So there's a lot going on here, but. The first thing is just that there's, there's no shame in their conduct. Like things that people usually do in the dark shadows, they have no problem doing in broad daylight. Uh, you know, and, and he goes into detail here on some of these things. They commit adultery with their eyes. Their desire for sin is never satisfied. I mean... 
you know, your spiritual leaders, you need to watch what they're looking at. You know, how are their eyes, right? Um, what are they, because what their eyes are going for is what they're de- desiring, right? They, it says, uh, they are a disgrace. Uh, this is fascinating. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. It's like, these guys are bad eggs if there ever was any, right? And he says, they lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. So it's like, you know, people that are not so solid in their faith, kind of maybe new to Christianity and what it's about, and they're getting a taste of it, and God seems to be drawing them, uh, but they don't have a good enough foundation to really sniff this out. And these uh, false teachers lure them away uh, to their teaching, and it says there that it uses, uh, it says they have wandered off the right road. It's talking about the false teachers. So at some point they were on the right road, right? Uh, and they got off track. They wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. And, and that's what, if you read the story of Balaam there in Numbers 22 to 24, and then again at 25, and then there's a commentary by Moses about him in uh, Numbers 31. But uh, you just see that his motives for, um, were, were just greedy for speak, wanting to speak a false prophecy against God's people. He was going to curse God's people and, and pretend to be speaking on behalf of God, but God, the donkey stopped him. Or God working through the donkey stopped him from doing. But his heart wasn't right. His heart was greedy. He he wanted uh, just money, and he would give a false prophecy for money. And so these false prophets are doing the same thing. I got to I got to wondering if maybe you know. So Gnosticism was one of the heresies of the day. Right, just and, and actually is still alive and well. Uh, that there's this special knowledge out there, and if you know the right people, right, if you know the right people and you pay enough money, you can get the right knowledge. This sounds like a, something, okay, um, and, and that you can kind of work your way up the ladder, but they charge you money to have the right knowledge, okay. Um, and I just wonder if this is what was happening, that they were greedy and maybe using their, their uh, saying that they have some kind of special knowledge and if you, you know, give me 50 bucks, I'll let you in on it. And if you give me a little bit more, I'll let you in a little bit more. <laughs> you know, it's extorting the people of God. But completely, completely shameless in how they were conducting themselves. And again, you know, I, I think that probably most people here, right, you know, if, if you saw one of your elders or pastors out, you know, carousing, would say, okay, there's a problem, okay? And you would, ha- you would probably have more than have a talk with me. You'd, we'd, you'd probably have a shout with me <laughs> in the name of Jesus, you know. Uh, you know, that that's just not conduct becoming a leader, right? Um. And just to say that, you know, also that, you know, character is really one of the primary requirements for church leadership, right? Um, 
if you look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, you'll, you'll see there the qualifications for an elder, and, and they're character-related. Uh, one of them says, you know, it shouldn't be a new believer, right? Uh, but, but that's also kind of related to character. You probably hadn't developed the Christian character, right? And so you just need to realize that character matters, right? It's not about charisma. It's not about... Um, you know, can you attract a crowd or whatever? It's about, are you the real deal? As, you know, and do you, you know, are you serving the people of God in humility? And that's the thing. And that's what we need to, to aim for. And that's what we should expect. In verse 17, uh, we see that their teaching is lifeless. It really doesn't give life. It, it's just kind of like some information. Uh, it, and it seems to be uh, uh, empty. And we get that from the wording here in the verse. It says, these people are as useless as dried up springs uh, you know, of water, springs of water. And as mist blown away by the wind, they are doomed to blackest darkness. But they're just saying they're empty. There's really nothing there spiritually to really benefit you from. Even though they say they've got special knowledge, their teaching doesn't give life. Right? Whereas the teachings of Jesus and the true teachings of Scripture, they are like a spring, right? And as we feed on them, as we drink of them, they give us life, right? But not so with these false teachers. Now, a major part of this section, verses 18 to 22, really talks about how these false teachers distort gospel freedom. I mean, the, the, the verses that we've covered so far, like I said, there's a lot of debate on the finer points, uh, on what the Greek is saying. I gave you all the things I think we can be sure on. Uh, but now we can, can be confident, I think, in what, what the point is here in this passage of their distorting gospel freedom. Let's see these verses. It says, They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to a holy life. They were given to a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit and another says a washed pig returns to the mud. All right, so a couple things here. Let me roll this back. This freedom. It says, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin. Well, they're teaching a freedom of sexual desire. That's that's part of their false teaching, is they're saying, listen, we can can act on our desires regardless, and it does have no effect on our lives spiritually. Right? Our spiritual lives and our physical bodies are totally sep- two separate things. What I do with the other has no impact on the other. On the other. And, and that's not true. Right? In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians tells us that sexual sin is a sin against our own bodies. 
right? Uh, and so it does have an effect on us spiritually. Uh, and so it's, it's, so, but these guys were pro- proclaiming some kind of a sexual freedom, uh, a freedom to do, just act on your desires, right? You're free to do whatever you want if, uh, if you believe in, in uh, God. And so, and of course, this is totally against the true gospel, right? Um, in short, the gospel, right? Christ died to free us from the power of sin. Romans tells us that, okay? Romans tells us that. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Okay, Romans 6, uh, let's just start with uh, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? There was a, you know, a, a people wondering, say, well, you know, if I'm saved by grace and it's not by the law, then certainly I should, does that mean I can just do whatever I want? And, and, and then, uh, you know, since if I sin, uh, won't that sin more? Does that mean I receive grace more And this? kind of wrong way of thinking. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he's giving us a word picture here through the baptism, right? Well, this baptism, what happens, right? You go down, Right, symbolic of you've died to your old way of life and your old sinful nature, and you come out, and it's symbolic that you've been made anew. You've got a new nature now, a nature that's free and does not have to obey uh, your sinful desires. You still have those sinful desires. We're still constantly fighting our uh, indwelling sin still until the Lord comes back, but now we're actually free to be able to say no uh, to sin and yes to God. That's what we're free to do as believers. And so uh, he goes on to say in verse 5, it says, For if we have been united with him in his death, death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So he's, again, he's saying we're going uh, to be resurrected. It says, we know that our old self, this is uh, Romans 6, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the, body, that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Right? And so he's, he's saying, again, with this analogy, dead people don't sin. Duh. They can't, right? Well, he's saying you, it, spiritually, if you've put your faith in Christ and believed in him and, and, and confessed your need for the Savior, confessed your sin to him, that you have a sin nature and you need to be forgiven, right? Then the Holy Spirit comes in you, right? As he tells us in, in Titus, right, that we're renewed by the Holy Ghost, okay, by the Holy Spirit. And so what happens then is, 
we have a different relationship to sin now. We don't have to be a slave to it. And that's, you know, uh, Peter uh, points that out, doesn't he? Doesn't he say, he says, um, talks about the promise of freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. If you give yourself to sexual sin, you are certainly going to be enslaved to it. Okay? Ask anyone who's been addicted to porn. Okay? All right? It's it just you are a slave to it. Um, or any other kind of sexual sin. And so, he's saying they basically traded being a servant and slave of the Lord to being a servant and a slave of sexual desires and sins. That's what they've traded. And he goes on to say, and he says, um, verse 20 back there in 2 Peter 2, he says, and when people escape from their wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and, Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. Now, um, and, and then it even says it would be better if they had never known the way. Uh, some people confuse that and think, well, that sounds like you can lose your salvation type of language. Okay? Uh, I think, again, on that particular topic, you need to have a full orb view of Scripture on what it says everywhere. Okay? Because so many places in Scripture are very, very clear that salvation is by, uh, by faith alone and that you're, once you're saved, you're always saved. Okay, God made a promise. He keeps his promises, all that. What's happening here is, I think these are just, again, people that seemed like they were saved, but never really were, right? Um, and he's saying, you know, it would be better if they hadn't actually known what the real way was. That's, that's pretty damning, I think. Say, it'd be better if you hadn't even known what the way of righteousness was. That's how bad it is. Better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject it. Because it does say then the, then then reject the command that they were given to live a holy life. You know, be holy as I am holy, right? Or even to there's places in scripture, I don't remember the reference, there are places that say talk about obeying the gospel. Like to believe. Believe in Jesus, right? To obey the gospel. That's uh, in, in that language is a, is a command, right? The gospel is something to be received, but also to be obeyed, to, believe, to be believed. And then in verse 22, just kind of caps it off there, right, where uh, it says, they prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to his vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Well, the washed pig returns to the mud, right? Well, you just kind of just show your true colors, right? You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's always going to go back to wallower in the mud. I mean, I I grew up with a friend who had a hog farm. I, it's the stinkiest animals that exist, I'm telling you right now. Uh, hog poop is the worst, okay? Uh, I, I can, I, I've, I've, no, I'll just leave it there. Just leave it right there. It's stinky, and they roll in that stuff. You can, you know, when you take them to the fair and you show your pigs, you wash them all down. They put baby powder on them. And it's just incredible. It's the whole thing. Well, guess what? 
After the fair, they're going right back because that's who they are. And Peter's just saying, you know, the true colors are coming out of these false teachers and anybody who follows after them and continues to follow, even after hearing the warnings. A dog returns to its vomit. I try to think about that one. And, and well, it's nasty to think about, but, but it's real. I mean, I've had dogs, a lot of dogs. Uh, but, you know, usually you're vomiting because you're trying to get rid of something bad inside of you, right? Um, and so the bad stuff comes out almost like, okay, well, I get, I, I get a little taste of Jesus. I want to try and improve my life. I want to do better, right? And so I try to stop doing some bad stuff. But if I really haven't uh, undergone the transformation and received the, uh, the Lord truly and received the Holy Spirit, then I'm just going to go right back to that. And now that's not to say that we won't stumble and fall, but I'm saying these guys are just continuing on that way. This is just their lifestyle, okay? We're not talking about a, a one-off, you know, messed up thing here, okay? Somebody just falling into sin for a time and then coming back. No, this is, these guys are just off the rails, A dog returning to his farm. They're just kind of showing who they are. And so, you know, this, uh, I was kind of wondering why many people don't preach on Second Peter. I'm kind of wondering why, i kind of seeing why now. It's just so stress strong language. People just don't like to hear this stuff. People don't like to, like, like to hear kind of people calling people out and saying, this is evil. This is wrong. <laughs> These are false teachers, you know. Don't go after it. Um, or to warn and say, you know, these guys are these guys are taking people down to hell with them. Um, but this is the real thing. I mean, there's still plenty of false teachers out there today that would love to uh, take uh, unsuspecting or un, uh, people who are are not that familiar with the scriptures and just lead them down the primrose path, have their little following. I wanted to end with uh, reading this uh, little excerpt from something that J.C. Ryle wrote. Um, Let me read this for you. It says, You live in a world where your soul is in constant danger. Enemies are around you on every side. Your own heart is deceitful. Bad examples are numerous. Satan is always laboring to lead you astray. Above all, false doctrine and false teachers of every kind abound. This is your great danger. I don't know when he wrote this, but this is still true today, you guys. Everything he's just said. And then it says, uh, to be safe, you must be well armed. You must provide yourself with the weapons which God has given you for your help. You must store your mind with Holy Scripture. Did you hear that? Store your mind with Holy Scripture. What does that mean? Got to know the Word, right? We got to know the Word. We got to, you know, lock it in up here, you know, memorize it, uh, you know, be familiar with it so that you can sniff out the, all the false teaching, right? And this is what he's saying. He said, um, you must, pro- must provide yourself with the weapons God's given you for your help. You must store your mind with Holy Scripture. This is to be well-armed. Arm yourself with thorough knowledge of the written Word of God. 
neglect your Bible, and nothing that I know of can prevent you from error if a plausible advocate of false teaching shall happen to meet you. You are the man that is unlikely to become established in the truth. I shall not be surprised to hear that you are troubled with doubts and questions about assurance, grace, faith, perseverance, etc. I shall not wonder if I am told that you have problems in your marriage, problems with your children, problems with the conduct of your family, and about the company you keep. The world you steer through is full of rocks, shoals, and sandbanks. You are not sufficiently familiar either with the lighthouses or charts. You are the man who is likely to be carried away by some false teacher for a time. It will not surprise me if I hear that one of these clever, eloquent men who can make a convincing presentation is leading you into error. You are in need of ballast, or truth. No wonder if you are tossed to and fro like a cork in the waves. That's, that's strong, isn't it? But he's right. He's right. Uh, and, and I'm just going to keep saying it until uh, the day I die. We've got to know the Word of God. We've got to be in it every day. We've got we to gotta soak it in, not just to know the information, but to meet the Savior there. Okay, To meet the Savior there and to, um, to meet with Him and to allow Him to transform your mind and to transform your life, to transform your marriage, to transform uh, your life as a student, if that's what you are. But it starts with engaging the Scriptures and seeing that there's life there. There's life there. It's, it's like living water. Okay. And by doing so, we will not only grow spiritually, um, but we'll also be able to spot these false teachers and to keep ourselves from error. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have letters like Second Peter where your apostles are not afraid to just point blank say it like it is and to warn us of things that are not just thousands of years old, but they are still true today. There are still false teachers like this today who do not have godly character who do things plainly out in the open in the name of freedom, yet they are enslaved. Father, we thank you for the gospel freedom that we do have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that if we put our faith in Jesus, we have uh, the, the power of sin has been broken. And that we can say now, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, no to unrighteousness and yes to the things of God. But thanks be to God that when we at times say yes to sin and no to God, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. Thank you. What a Savior we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.